I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting, and I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document, and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you. Sign up for it because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free. And I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. So today we have a gentleman by the name of Dan Miller. Dan is the president of 48 Days LLC, which specializes in creativity, thinking for increased personal and business success. He has this belief that meaningful work blends with our natural skills and abilities, our unique personalities, traits, our dreams and passions. Dan is active in helping individuals redirect careers, evaluate new income sources, and achieve a balanced life, which is basically like the concept of the whole person. We believe that it is a sense of clear direction to help us in all areas that God has designed us to be. He also believes that in this journey, God has created us in a way to live to our fullest potential in the manner that God has created us. So Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much. Hey, I'm doing great. Enjoying this second half of a very interesting year. <laughs> right? Absolutely. 2020 has been uh, pretty crazy. It has. It has. Do you know, anytime there are challenges, and this applies certainly to things I'm, I'm sure you're going to want to talk about, anytime there are challenges, there are new opportunities in there as well. It's not all bad. It's never that way. And we, right. we, we, can, um, we can surge ahead by looking for those new opportunities that other people may miss. Yeah, absolutely. And I also, you know, in the terms of a Christian perspective, there are seasons in life. And right now I've, I see a lot of people being pruned. And in this season of my life, I'm seeing fruit. You know, last year was a big pruning year for us. Okay. This year is a very uh, productive, fruitful year, more than we've ever seen before. So it's unique that in the middle of one of the worst times of my life in terms of how long I've been living and what's going on in the world, it's also been one of the best years of my life. Okay. And cool. I just think that, one, I don't say that reluctantly because there's a lot of people going through a lot of hard things right now. But I've noticed that despite what's going on in the world, that God has us in our own seasons and is developing us along a path of drawing us closer to him, personal growth and integrity, character, holiness, righteousness, and et cetera. Okay. So Dan, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here is because there's this verse in Matthew 7, verse 16, where it talks about you will know them by their fruit. And God is talking to his disciples and his people that 
we will be known by our fruit, what we produce. And, you know, I've got to watch you from a distance coming on the Ziegler show uh, that your son hosts and getting to listen to, to what you talk there. But even the fruit from your son's life is even a representation of what you've poured into your children and seeing their successes is an indication of what you've poured into them. And so I'm really excited to talk with you about this journey of what you're doing 48 days to the work that you love because you have good fruit. You're, you're producing good things. And so, man, that's, I just asked Kevin if I could connect with you and he helped me with that. So Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. So regarding your message of the 48 days to the work that you love, what, what is the message behind that? The real core message, it began years ago in a little Sunday school class, and it was helping people through these inevitable transitions we all are confronted with. They're relentless and going to happen whether we want them to or not. Sometimes they come unexpectedly and unwelcome. And what I thought I would have in that class Evan, I thought I would have, you know, the 22-year-old who just lost his job at Burger King and needed to find another job, or somebody who just graduated from college and was having a hard time really integrating into a job. Well, I had a few of those, but I also had dentists and chiropractors and physicians and attorneys and pastors who were showing up saying, you know, from the outside, everybody thinks I'm doing okay, and I am, but I don't think this is it. I think I'm on the wrong path here. How can I figure this out? So I got to work with those people and really taking a fresh look, wiped the slate clean, taking a fresh look at how has God uniquely gifted me? What are the things I need to look at that, I, that are individual, that are unique about me, so that I can then look for what would that mean, not just on Sunday morning for 58 minutes, but what would it look like on Monday morning when I get out here and do something where I blend those things I know about myself? So that really is the core message, how to look at yourself what's already there, be introspective, and from that, get a clear focus, and then turn that into meaningful, productive, profitable work. That's the message. So what are some of those steps? Like, you know, let's say, you know, there's a couple of people I have in mind. One, I, I have in mind as a young man who graduated college, and I didn't, you know, I thought I wanted to be a pastor. I mean, I still do, but then it took me, I'm not even there yet, but within four years, I had like 21 different jobs, a lot of part-time temporary work, trying to find and make sense of my giftings, my talents. And even now as an adult who's been in the same career for seven years, those are things I still struggle with. You know, I love my career. I like real estate, but like you said, there's, there's more that I feel like God is calling me to. And so how do I become self-aware? How do I find out what my giftings and my talents are to pursue what that more is? Yeah, hey, legitimate question. And people ask that no matter where they are in the continuum of age. And what we do is look inward. 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction in your career comes from looking inward. So look at what are your skills and abilities? How old are you, Evan? I'm 32. 32. Okay. By the time you're 32, you've got plenty of life history behind you where you can identify what are those skills and abilities you have. 
Secondly, what are your personality tendencies? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? How do you sell? How do you manage? How do you persuade? Those are things that give us a whole lot of information about you. And then the third area is what I call values, dreams, and passions. What are those things that keep reoccurring? They keep coming up where you recognize, wow, it's when I'm in this environment that I really seem to be in my zone. We talk about athletes being in their zone. Anybody ought to be able to recognize when does it just seem like things really fit? Wow. Just really in uh, where, where things just work in a really cool way. And by taking that look inward, you ought to be able to then to see, all right, it's when these things are in place. And then we look for that sweet blend of passion, talent, and money. You find that, man, you're home free. See, what a lot of people do is they think, well, I have a passion for this. You know, I want clean water in Africa, whatever it happens to be. It may be something worthy and godly. But if they can't figure out an economic model to go with that, they really aren't doing anything. They may have a hobby, but they don't really have something that they can push forward with and make an impact. So it's right. got to have all three of those legs. But that's a process. 85% introspection, 15% then application. All right, knowing what you know about yourself, what is it that you could do? And it's not just one thing. I mean, it's not like you have to worry about finding the one right thing. I mean, as a 32-year-old with the background you describe and the passions you describe, I mean, I can, I can unpack this a little bit more if you know. Yeah, like. please. And you can make it specific. Okay. So let's say that, well, there are three words that we tend to use interchangeably, and they should not be. They're vocation, career, and job. They're very different. Vocation is the big picture. It's your purpose, your calling, your mission, your destiny. You may want to help, help, help alleviate pain in the world. All right, that would be part of that. So then we look at career as a subset. What could you do as a career that would help you alleviate pain in the world? Well, you could be a surgeon. You could be a pharmacist. You could be a sports trainer. You could be a biochemist. You could be a pastor. You could be a, a teacher. I mean, you could, there's a whole lot of things that would effectively lend themselves to reducing pain and suffering in the world. So it's not just one thing. Job then is the smallest component. Job is what you get up in the morning, you do it because you know you can get a paycheck on Friday. You know, it's responsible. But framing it in that way, we can see losing a job shouldn't never make you lose your vocation or calling. But if people haven't taken the time to really identify the big picture, then the small picture becomes too important. They lose a job and it's like their life is over. Are you kidding me? No. And I work with you know, physicians, attorneys, dentists, pastors, people like that, who we go back to that original vocation, that original calling. I mean, one of the biggest groups I work with are pastors who say, man, get me out of this. This is not what I signed up for. And so we look at how can you continue to minister, but perhaps never be behind a pulpit on Sunday morning again. And there's lots of examples of how to do that. That's funny because I feel like I'm living that, but in reverse where I feel so vocation wise, you know, I do have this desire to be a vocational minister. Uh, I feel like the call of God on my life is living out the heart of God by loving others back to life. And I have had to find ways outside of vocational ministry to fulfill that call because vocational ministry isn't yet. Um, I believe God is probably still developing me as a person, character, integrity before that time comes. But I hear what you're saying. So, so let me ask you this. 
I think where I struggle with in that is I want to go into ministry or I want to go into paid speaking, teaching, authorship. Uh, that's the direction I want to go. I don't want to backtrack from that. So how would I or someone else get from where they're currently at and taking steps towards where they want to go that's aligned with their dreams, passions, and callings? Well, let's kind of step out for a minute, but it will apply. You'll see the application. Let's say that somebody really feels called to go to Rwanda to be a missionary. My question is, are you a missionary now? Are you a missionary in your neighborhood, in your community? Geography isn't going to change who you are. And in the same way, a lot of people are feeling this call to ministry. And I'm saying, are you different from the other real estate agents that are out there? If you have a heart for ministry, that ought to be evident in every interaction that you have. I don't think you have to wait until your career or source of income changes to fully be engaged in ministry. Right. You know, we have this, we have this idea, and I, and I, you know, frankly, I, I get a little tired of getting one more letter from somebody who just discovered that God has called them to full-time ministry. What that does, it implies clearly the rest of us that are out here, even as authors, speakers, coaches, as you mentioned, you know, we're just, you know, chumps that are, you know, being materialistic and greedy because we haven't received that call. Right. Boy, that's a disservice. That really is a misunderstanding of how God gifts us differently. Mm-hmm. If God gives you gifts as an artist, then be great as an artist. If he gives you gifts as a surgeon, wow, do that as a truck driver, a plumber, I don't care what it is. If he really gives you the talent to do that, that is your greatest ministry gift that you have. So I, I think we have to be careful about thinking that we're, we're held off from ministry until we you know, put a black robe on on Sunday mornings. No, I, I agree completely. You know, that's one of the things that over my, golly, since 2010 I graduated, one of the things that God has really shown me is that ministry is not just behind the pulpit. It's, it's a lifestyle. Um, in conjunction with that, there is a difference between ministry outside the church and into the world versus in the church. I feel called to do both. Right now, I... I'm using this podcast as a platform or the, the man that I meet at his house for a listing only to find out he really has zero motivation to sell his house, but is very lonely and needs to be encouraged. Mm. You know, there are moments in life that I find that my, my intent for that meeting, my intent for that purpose of being wherever I was, was for business, but then I have to remain open to allow God to direct in those moments as well. And that's something that I've had to learn and to grow in while not in specific vocational ministry and being, being okay with, with that. I guess in terms of, of this conversation and this dialogue, and I'm just trying to use myself as an example, um, but maybe we can just, you know, create a different avatar here. But for someone who, who doesn't feel like they're using their gifts or talents where they're currently at and they want to, how would you advise them to go about using their gifts and talents and moving into the realm of passion, talent, and money? 
Well, if your gifts are in, let's take it as an example. So you have a gift of speaking, of being a great communicator. Then I would say contact your local Chamber of Commerce and Rotary Club. They're looking for speakers every week. Volunteer to have a 25-minute presentation on something that really inspire and encourage the listeners. Do it there. You don't have to wait. If you want to write, well, you can do a blog this afternoon. You can do an ebook this weekend and have it up on Amazon on Monday morning. You don't have to wait for a publishing deal. So go ahead and exercise those gifts that you think you are called to because there really are few obstacles. You can go ahead and get in the game in those arenas. Then your experience and success will fuel the opening of bigger doors as you go. Mm. And I, with what I do today, and I like to be known primarily as an author, and I love, love, love writing, but everything that I do today grew out of a little Sunday school class at our church where I just offered to help people through, as we mentioned, these transitions. And then people started asking for material and said, what you just shared, I want to share with my son-in-law who's been without work for three months. What do you have I can give him? Well, I didn't have anything. So I put together just rough notes from my Sunday school class, put together in a three-ring binder with a couple CDs in there. We got the binders at Office Depot. Never talked to a publisher. I just put those together and started offering them. Well, then that person would tell somebody else. And in an 18-month period, I sold over $2 million worth of that little three-ring binder. And then I had publishers standing in line saying, wow, we see what you're doing. We'd like to produce this as a book. So then we produced it as a traditional book. Well, I just released the 20th anniversary edition of that little book. And in this particular one, Evan, I included two new words that have never been there before. For 20 years, it's been 48 days to the work you love. And we included two little words that are pretty, pretty important and pretty applicable to our conversation mm -hmm. here. 48 days to the work and life you love because work is just that one tool for a meaningful life. And it, it can come and go. I mean, I love work. I, I work with people every day on the importance of work. But work can change. There are other components in our lives that we need to be developing equally. And in doing so, then work can change, modify as we go. Golly, new opportunities have come along for you 10 years from now that you're not even aware of now. Yeah. How does a person, so I'm, let's just, I've been in the same career for seven years. And, you know, there's other people that have been in careers longer, but they want to make a change, but they're afraid. Me, obviously, I'm not afraid to make a change. I'm podcasting, I'm doing stuff. But for the person that is afraid to make a change, a pivot in direction, mm -hmm. because they're tied to their income, how, what would be the best advice on pivoting, but yet still earning an income? All right. A lot of it has to do with mindset. It's funny how most people assume that with change, they're going to move to less. Mm -hmm. Wow. I just lost my job. So, ooh, we're not going to go on that vacation this year. We're going to have to turn back in the lease car. We're going to have to pull our kids out of Christian school. You know, all those things they assume. But then I talked to them 18 months later and they say, oh my gosh, you know, I've doubled my income. I'm doing something I 
enjoy way more than what I did before. Sometimes those unexpected changes open new doors of opportunity. I mean, I, I, I think sometimes you know, people miss God speaking to them because they aren't paying attention to those things. They assume that every change that shows up is negative. So that's the first thing. Don't assume that change is going to move you into lack. It can move you into abundance. And we see that played out. So expect that. And in doing so, you may want to initiate the change. Don't wait for circumstances to force you. Initiate change. Always be exploring. I mean, if you've been in a job for 15 years, the same job, you may be getting stale. These days when companies recruit new people, having the same job for 20 years may be a negative. They may think, wow, that person maybe didn't grow. They didn't change with the times. The average job right now is about 2.1 years in length. So that's not seen as a negative anymore. So getting to know yourself better as you mature, it ought to just by nature open up new opportunities. So welcome them, initiate them if they aren't coming fast enough, and it'll keep you moving forward. Where does someone balance personal responsibility in change and pursuit as well as waiting or allowing God's timing and God's hand to also open doors. Obviously, you know, a ship can't be steered if it's not moving. Right. I think where, where I struggle with personally, I'm a, I'm a hustler, I'm a grinder. I, you know, give me a thousand things to do and I'll just go grind them out. And in my own journey, I feel like God's saying, no, just stop, let me open these doors for you. Let me do this for you. And I feel like there's a season of change coming. Uh, not, not this year. I think it's going to be 2021 or 2022 from, from what I, I feel God talking to me about, because there's still things that he's prepping me for. But the feeling I'm getting from God is basically saying, I don't, I don't want you to do what you've done in the past, which is, you know, I moved across country multiple times. I've, I've tried to, force the door open myself. And I feel like God's saying, no, let me show you where I want you. Let me create those opportunities. Don't, don't try to make this of your own accord. So how do I balance personal responsibility, but also waiting for God and allowing God to move on my behalf and not trying to take it into my own hands? Well, yeah, you've opened a really big <laughs> issue there for sure. You already said that steering a ship that's sitting still doesn't have any impact. It has to be moving before steering does anything. And I think a lot of people are guilty of just sitting, waiting on God to open those doors, to change their life or whatever. And God's saying, wow, get in the game, be doing something so we can make little adjustments as you're going along that'll lead to those big doors that you want. You know, we often use the verse out of Isaiah, you know, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall rise up with wings as eagles, and so on. And we assume that that means just going out in a field, sitting on a rock, waiting on the Lord. No, the word wait there, as it's used, is the same word from which we get waiter. It's somebody who's busy serving, who sees what needs to be done and does it. Mm. That's the sense of waiting. You know, faith is, is an action. Faith is taking the next step based on what we know now. It's not inaction. It's not sitting. And people often 
justify procrastination and indecision, which are crippling by saying, well, I've just got to pray about it some more. So if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of taking action and having God correct me as I go along because I'm always moving. Right. I know it theologically, I mean, it has to do with our personality as well as our theology, but God speaks to me by allowing me to make mistakes in moving into things where I recognize that was not a proper decision. Mm. More so than by giving me a vision in the middle of the night that comes to me in kind of an elusive way where it's just a passing thought. What questions do you have for me? (laughs) As you describe this process of moving into ministry, I mean, that intrigues me. What would you like your life to look like two years from now that would convince you you have a bigger opportunity for ministry than what you have today? So there's a, to answer that, there's several different mindset things that I I feel like I want to address first. My biggest opportunity within ministry isn't two years from now. It's right now. It's my children. It's my spouse. And so I view, I view my ministry as a daily thing with what God has given me responsibility for today. Mm-hmm. Assuming something comes later in the future that allows me to be more responsible for say a church or a business that allows me to speak and teach or travel, you know, in that context, I would, I would like to speak consistently um, with an audience. I would, I would like to travel. Um, I feel like some of the giftings that I have are communication as well as words of affirmation, encouragement, maybe a little bit of a word of knowledge um, for the encouragement of other believers. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to walk in that a little bit more consistently than what I do now. Um, and I don't get me wrong, I try to do that as much as I can now as well. As a speaker in that environment, typically there's not a lot of monetary compensation involved. How are you going to continue to be a provider in your family if you get those opportunities? I have no idea. Okay. See, that's, that's, where we, that's where there has to be a blend. If you have passion for something and talent for something, godly things, but you have no economic model, you just have a hobby. Right. You don't, you don't really have a career or a business or a fulfillment, a responsible fulfillment of your calling. So how could you position yourself to speak in ways that bring encouragement and even a word of knowledge, but they write you a check for $5,000 when you're finished? I mean, could, is that, does that fit within this model? How could, you, how could you write a book that is biblically based, that encourages people, but put millions of dollars in your account? I mean, is right. that something that you desire? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, the, this, the idea of ministry, whether it's as a pastor or as what you're doing specifically, because what you're doing is essentially a ministry in and of itself in the context of a business. 
And so for me, you know, I'm really game either direction. You know, I would probably lean more towards if I could pick it more along the lines of what you're doing. Um, Where I get to still have those entrepreneurial giftings and traits come out and get to create content that people want to consume Mm -hmm. and use those gifts and talents while I still get to create my own schedule and not have a board over me because I, I very much like being in charge. Okay. So does that answer that question? I guess It, it does. And I think you're wise to explore those things. I mean, I do get the opportunity to speak and I do get opportunities to write in various publications. Um, I have a mastermind where people pay to be part of that group where we share life together. We have an online community called 48 Days Eagles. People pay $48 a month to be part of that. People are encouraged. They're given resources and ideas. People pray for each other, all of that. But instead of being a church where we meet geographically on Sunday, it's an online community. Right. Now, my goal and we're growing pretty rapidly in there, is to get us, we're, we're at about 1,100 people right now. My goal is to get to 2,500 people as quickly as we can. 2,500 people, that's the size I want. We have emerging leaders in there who are getting new opportunities for themselves. We have a uh, small group in there that's specifically business as ministry. We're also just starting a group for entrepreneurial pastors. That's all within this community. But again, if you're ahead of me here as a business guy, mm-hmm. you can kind of do the math on the back end. 2,500 people paying $48 a month is over a million dollars a year. Right. For Dan Miller. There's no building. There's very little infrastructure. It's just giving people a place to have conversations together. That is 100% in the heart of my calling that I know God has given me is to provide resources to bring encouragement and hope to people who need it most, who may be in circles where they're not being encouraged. But in doing so, sure, I mean, I create business models that make sense where we can be like Abraham, blessed to be a blessing, where blessings can flow through us to other kind of worthy causes. I mean, we're able to do things in terms of helping worthy ventures around right. the world that we really enjoy that with this stage in our life, you know, I would have never thought possible, but it's because I've been strategic about putting legs under those things. I think God has called me to do. That makes sense. So let's, let's say I'm not as self-aware and I don't know my gifts or my talents and I'm trying to discover what these things are. You know, there's different personality tests and gifted tests that people can, can take. Sure. But for someone who's probably towards the beginning of this journey, what, what advice would you give to help someone find out their giftedness and what they're good at? Be excellent at what you're doing now. If it's greeting at Walmart, be the best greeter they ever had interact with people, encourage them, but get in the game in that way. 
So there's, there's very few things I would consider a mistake in terms of career choice, like fresh out of college. I think those first two, three, four jobs that somebody has. Or 21. All right. The primary value of those is helping you get clear on what it is you do not enjoy. And then you kind of see what's, what's left. So it's not like you, you should have done that. You're on a wrong track. You know, when I meet with a, a 27-year-old attorney who says, oh my gosh, you know, this whole industry, this profession is embarrassing. I want to get out of here. We don't negate what they've done. What they've done in terms of academic background and experience is part of shaping them for new opportunities that other people won't be candidates for. We bring that forward, even if we're going to redirect it. It's an ongoing journey. It's not a destination where you get to it and then you just relax because this is it. I mean, I'm looking for things. I just wrote a piece this last weekend and I titled it, I Want a Bigger Future. And I talked about the idea that when Buzz Aldrin was the second person to step foot on the moon, on the way back from the moon, he got discouraged because he thought, what could I possibly do? He was 39 years old. He thought my career peaked. What am I ever going to do that will match this? He came back, started an alcoholic binge that lasted nine years. He has three ex-wives. And in 2018, he filed suit against his three children to remove them from all his social media accounts and anything financially connected with him. That's how his life went after stepping foot on the moon, which should have been the pinnacle of, of projecting him as a inspiring leader, but it didn't do that. I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want to reach a point and then kind of just coast into the grave. I want to be planning what is next. I always want my future to be bigger than my past. And in doing so, I'm exploring things that are outside the boundaries of what I'm used to now. I'm very comfortable as a coach, speaker, and writer. I could just kind of sit there and just kind of rest. Ah, that doesn't excite me at all. I'm looking for the next mountain to climb. I'm looking for what is it that I'm going to be doing three years from now that we don't even understand the ability to do today because things are changing so quickly. Right. Just put yourself on that path. The, the, the incidentals of what you're doing daily are not as important as what you might think. It's mindset, continuing growth and development, maturing spiritually. That's an ongoing process that can happen if you're out in the field bailing hay or if you're standing behind a pulpit. There's a lot of different takeaways that I picked up on. Um, for starters, well, it's just really funny because I'm seeing a theme over the last week and a half and I've had multiple conversations with people that tend to be very similar to the conversations that we're having with the exact same answers. And so my radar is just kind of really being attentive to this conversation because for starters, the, the idea of it's a process of a journey versus a destination, that really rings true to me because as a person who is a grinder and goal-oriented I can make myself anxious and have anxiety and feel like I'm not doing enough quick enough or arrived enough, which then causes mental and emotional health issues to where I just want to recluse myself. Mm -hmm. And so for the fact that 
again, I'm hearing the message of it's about the journey and not the mountaintop, but enjoying each step and enjoying each view. The other things that I picked up on is, which was really funny, you talked about faith being an action. Uh, well, love is an action as well. And if you're going to do something that you love, it requires action. And <clears throat> so often we, we wait to the point where we just give up on things that we love. And um, I hope I'm not coming off that way because absolutely I'm not. It took me four years to actually start a uh, podcast, but after four years, I finally did it and I've been doing it a year. Right. Um, we have to have that gentle balance between doing and being. Right. I mean, it would be easy for me to just have you know, four more coaching clients this week. No, I have a lot of time. Well, as a matter of fact, here's how my schedule goes. On Monday, I have all business meetings, meeting with my team, anything having to do with vendors, new products, technology, or whatever, Monday. Tuesday is a coaching day. So I have my mastermind call, all my coaching calls, our coaching mastery, online call. All those things happen on Tuesday. Wednesday morning, I do my podcast. Wednesday afternoon, I'm available for interviews. Thursday and Friday, deep work. No commitments, no appointments, no lunch meetings deep work. So there's nothing on my schedule. Now, if somebody calls and says, wow, hey, I'm going to be in town, you know, can we get together at three o'clock Thursday afternoon? I'm sorry, I already have a commitment. Because that's a time where I'm reading, thinking, working on manuscripts. But that's time that's equally as important as the engaging, the doing. You know, it's almost like breathing. If you do nothing but exhale, you'll turn blue and pass out. Our body requires yeah. us to stop and inhale. So allow yourself that flexibility. There's always the opportunity to do more, but there's really no pride in just being busy. Ooh. It's a matter of, are you addressing both sides of that equation? Are you becoming more as you're doing more? Personally, I, I can answer that as a yes. Over the last year, since I've started the podcast, I went from it being something that I felt like I was supposed to do four years ago to it actually taking place. And to, you know, losing 30 pounds, um, quitting drinking soda, pop is something I've been addicted to most of my life. And giving up caffeine as well as other bad habits and addictions that I've allowed to control my life. This year I've seen a lot of personal growth and freedom in areas that I haven't seen before. And as I'm seeing these freedoms take place, I've also noticed that it's pushing me from the being towards the doing and the more that I'm doing, it's also means more than I'm becoming, if that makes sense. It's almost I a catch-22. It's, it's a rhythm of, of, of both. Yep, absolutely. Well, congratulations on <laughs> and recognizing that. I mean, a lot of this process is just being self-aware enough to recognize what's going on, recognize when we're getting out of balance, when we need to 
take some time out. I mean, I've spent some time at the Abbey of Gethsemane, the monastery mm-hmm. where Thomas Merton spent his last years. And I enjoy that because it's really unplugging. And when I go there, I don't allow myself to just take books and read. And of course, there's a vow of silence there. So you meet somebody in a path, you don't make eye contact, say hi. In the cafeteria, all the chairs are facing the same direction. So there's no temptation to chatter. And that's okay for a short period of time. But boy, am I eager then to get back and engage. So there's that process of inhaling, exhaling. But we can also get caught up in just doing more. Busy, busy, busy. I mean, that's a, a badge of honor in America. I'm so busy. Well, I hope not. You're so busy. Yeah, if you're busy, yeah, why is that? Why, why have you not gotten a better handle on controlling what you're committed to? Why and is busyness a bad thing? Why is busyness a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Well, most people are depleting themselves physically, emotionally, and relationally because they're going to close one more deal, you know, or go 20 miles farther. You know, they're, they're, they are proud of just being busy. When being busy at some level implies you're doing a very good job of managing your time and commitments. I mean, with any level of success comes the necessity of saying no. How can you say no? How can I say to a potential client? I mean, I had a gentleman who has two Super Bowl rings on and who contacted me through a friend of mine to get to me and wanted my coaching. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have any availability. And he was blown away that I wouldn't make an exception for him. No, it's because I've decided in advance what things are important to me. And that includes self-care. That includes study and reflection and also working on projects that may have an impact two years from now. But those are things we have to decide in advance. Otherwise, we'll just caught up with, get caught up with the squeaky wheel and just do what's next. Hmm. Real estate agents, my gosh, are the most notorious in the world for being available 24-7. They're sitting in church and their phone beeps. Are you kidding me? Yep. They think, they, they think they have to be available all the time? Yeah. Oh. Most successful people I know are very clear about when they're available and when they're not. That, I'm laughing because that is so true. Uh, and I'm so guilty of that. In so many ways, like I have this lead program that I'm a part of and I get free leads. However, once I close one, I split it 30% to them and I get the rest. But I have to take the leads when they come in. I have to click yes and then I have to reach out. So I don't get to dictate sometimes when when I receive answer um, stuff like that, because that's a part of the, the deal when you sign up for it. And so I just figured, you know, even though I'm seven years into it, any contribution to my family at this point is beneficial. And yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'm not going to make an excuse. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, you know, I like to end each show with, the same three questions if time allows. So what, what lie 
and negative self-talk have you struggled with currently or from your past? Got a whole bunch from my past. There's a concept called the upper limit challenge. And in that, we all have a sense of what we deserve. It's kind of like a thermostat. So if our success goes over that, we'll sabotage it to bring back down based on what we deserve. I grew up extremely poor. My dad was a pastor. He was bivocational. He didn't get paid for pastoring. So we eked out a living as farmers. Very, very poor. It humbles me and is a challenge for me to recognize that on a good day, I make more money than my dad ever made in a year. That's something, that's a limiting belief, an old false belief that I've had to work through. And I think a lot of people do that. They sabotage their opportunities for success based on family history, family expectations, and just a sense that, yeah, that's probably not, you know, not something for me. Right. So that's a biggie. That's a biggie that I work on consistently. What is the best decision you've ever made? Wow. Marrying the woman I married. I was young and green and stupid, naive, and somehow I met this gorgeous gal. It was her very first day at the Ohio State University, and I was staying there with my friends. I was a sophomore, watching the beautiful young girls come in, and I followed her and looked over her shoulder, made a connection. We've been married over 52 years. Wow. I have no idea what my life would look like if I had not married my wife, Joanne. I mean, it sounds trite at this point. I mean, I, I would like to think that I'm you know, a positive guy, that I would have forged ahead no matter what. But knowing that I have her constant, unconditional support has allowed me to experiment with things that I think a lot of people would have felt held back from. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've been married 10 years now and while it's not 52, I kind of feel like 10 years is even a badge of, a badge of honor nowadays. Really? And, um, you know, I got married when I was like 22, 23, something, something around that point. But I, but I look as a 32 year old now <clears throat> back at how did I pick such a good person at such a young age when I knew absolutely nothing of the world? Like, it just dumbfounds me because I have friends that have picked terrible mates and there's change that happens in a relationship and in the person in the marriage and it just goes south. And I'm just like, man, did God just bless me. So I, while I haven't been on that journey as long as you have, I, I understand what you're saying for sure. <laughs> so my last question for you, what brings you peace? Wow. I never tired, tire of being in nature. When I get up in the morning and I hear water running outside our house and I hear the birds and I see the baby fawn out on our front lawn, I think, wow, they don't get so caught up in the kind of worry and frustration and hustle and bustle. So it's just a reminder. But I create even in my office, I'm very particular about the colors, the lighting. I have candle burning behind me. 
I'm very particular about the music that I listen to. So I create an environment of peace and I purposely avoid negative environments, negative situations, negative people. Saturday night, Joanne and I were sitting outside at a restaurant here in Franklin, Tennessee, and a young couple that we hadn't seen for probably a year were walking down the street and they saw us and just lit up and, oh my gosh, came running over to greet us and then stopped short and said, are you guys social distancing? And I said, yes, we're staying away from negative, fearful, angry people. If you're one of those, please stay back. Well, they laughed and we... Good. But I mean, I do. I don't allow myself to be around negative, angry people. Mm. And so I create that peace, peaceful environment. Am I selfish? I don't know. You could make a case for that. But I choose that because I know the effect it has on me. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Um, your, your life is a blessing and your work Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you for coming on to today. Well, absolutely. And we've got a place for people to go. I put a, uh, uh, we've got a, a URL for you. If you just go to 48days.com slash Evan, you'll find a unique page there created for you and your listeners. And there's a little quiz, a 20 question quiz. Are you living the life you love? It's really phenomenal. Well, my team put it together. I'm so proud of it. Are you living the life you love? Just go to 48days.com slash Evan. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for that. Absolutely. And get, your, get his book, 48 Days to the Work and Life You Will Love. When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example, that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago and he was the first coach I've ever had and he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're going to get in a spot where you're going to be able to give back to others. And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now, that it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me that at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people, I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm going to make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm going to offer a free 15-minute coaching phone call to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15 minute phone call. I have the prices right up front. I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show.